morning. Boy, this church is filling up. What a joy that is. I think it's doubled since last time I stood here. That's why I'm just amazed today. Beautiful. Today's scripture is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all of who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you are taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them in him. Thanks for the reading of the word. I'd like to invite you just to give a moment to Meditate on what stuck out to you from the reading of God's word this morning. Take just a moment of quiet to 
Let the Holy Spirit speak to you from what was just read. God, thank you that you've given us fullness in your word that points us directly to your purposes and to yourself. So show us yourself. Show us your truth this morning. In Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. I want you to think this morning about the difference between insurance and assurance. Insurance and assurance. Because we live in a time where most of us, when you get a job or when you move somewhere or just to live in general, you, you get some kind of insurance of various kinds, car insurance, health insurance, whatever, life insurance. Uh, you can insure a lot of things. And the, the more things you have, the more things you can insure. Insurance is something you do in advance of something unknown or uncontrollable happening just in case something bad happens, right? So you get car insurance just in case someone crashes into you and you need to get it fixed. Something you do in advance of something just in case something bad happens. So just in case this sermon goes well over 30 minutes, you, you may have an insurance policy in the back of your mind of, if this sermon goes a little long, maybe I'll pretend to pick up the phone and walk outside and then go to lunch. <laughs> you know, maybe, I'm just saying, maybe you have an insurance policy for if the sermon lingers on a little longer than you'd like. Now think about assurance. Assurance is something you receive in advance of something that is unknown or uncontrollable. So if insurance is something you do in advance just in case something happens, assurance is something you actually receive in advance of something uncontrollable. So it's like a peace-giving promise, something that's supposed to put you at ease. So to use the sermon illustration, um, I assure you this sermon will not go longer than 30 minutes. <laughs> I will let you out of here at about 11.30. That's my assurance to you. You don't need an insurance policy. So it's up to you now whether you want to take on that assurance or if you want to be skeptical. And there's a lot of, a lot of ways you can think about that, I guess. But when you think about the Christian life or even like a, a sermon this morning, like you're spending here, you're spending an hour of your time here this morning, um, what do you what do you what do you learn yearning for, longing for, desiring when you come to this place? Are you looking for an insurance policy just in case you die? Or are you looking for the assurance of something that will give you peace for the now? I was reading something from a pastor this week um, who he talked about you know, a time when he was preaching one time and someone came up to him after the service and said, said to him, 
That was certainly a challenging sermon, Pastor. And the pastor came back and he said, I am so sorry. I apologize that it was a challenging sermon. And the reason he said that is because he says the lasting impression that a pastor should want to have from a sermon is not that was a challenge, but that, the, but that there was an assurance of something. So challenge can be involved in a sermon, but if the takeaway is, oh, I'm really challenged by that, then this pastor is saying pastors have kind of missed the mark. So let me just, let me read a little bit what he says. He says, challenge is law, assurance is grace. There's something in God's glory, of, there's something of God's glory in the law to be sure, but there, but there is far greater divine glory in his grace. When challenge is explicitly removed and clearly replaced with assurance, people are hushed with awe and deeply helped. A sermon that displays Christ and his grace and glory for the undeserving has morally uplifting power. Sinners find him captivating. But a sermon that aims at moral improvement leaves people worse off than before, though they might see themselves as better off. Only Christ saves. It's a convicting thought for me as a preacher of, oh, how many times do I leave you all just feeling challenged but not sure of anything? Nothing to grab onto to find assurance for what does this all mean for today? So as opposed to just going home and fixing something morally, are people, are you all leaving with freedom of the assurance that there is an answer, that there is a hope for all of us? And so I just invite you to, to think about it as we begin this sermon and this dive into to Colossians 2, to think about what kind of assurance are you longing for today? What are the assurances of the kingdom of God that can carry you forward in your life for the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks, the next couple of years? Next couple of decades. You see, because if, if you leave this place this morning and are just doubling down on Christianity as an insurance policy, that's just not going to be enough to propel you in life. Because Christianity is more than just preparing for when you die. Christianity and living for the kingdom of God is giving you something to live into today that gives you peace and assurance and hope for the now. So Christianity and the kingdom of Jesus is the grandest assurance for life today to give you peace-giving promises for both today and tomorrow. So a couple of assurances I want to give you that I think Paul points to in Colossians 2, 1 to 15. Assurance number one is in verses 1, 2, and 3. And I think it's the assurance of community. The assurance of community. The assurance that if you are living in and for the kingdom of God, you are never alone. You're never truly alone. You're never truly just doing this thing by yourself. That's an assurance. That's something you can have today that is a promise. We're gonna have our visitor next week, like, like I said, who's living in a very secure uh, Muslim majority country where it's hard to be open about being a Christian, and so therefore community has its challenges and it's harder to gather together and to be a church like you and I are doing now. But still, you're going to be amazed next week, I'm sure, 
at the stories he tells about how the church is able to, to still exist and to have community, even if it's a little bit more underground than how you and I experience it today. The assurance of community is, is steadfast. Nothing can hold it back. So look at verses 1, 2, and 3. Again, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter to the, the church in Colossae. And he says, first of all, he admits the struggle. He says, I want you to know how great of a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea, kind of a neighboring region, neighboring town. And for all those who have not seen me face to face. Key word there, not. They have not seen Paul face to face yet. They just know him as the Apostle Paul, far away. And so that's why he's writing this letter, to provide some kind of encouragement to them. But first of all, he's, he's acknowledging the pain of not being able to be together face to face in person. Has there been a time in the last few years where you've ever had to go through the pain of not seeing people face to face for a certain amount of time? Can anybody think of a, of a period of life where there's a big something that happened that, that prevented us all from being face to face for a while? I think this is something that in the last couple of years that we could probably relate to a lot better than maybe if I'd preached this sermon in 2018. You know, when COVID came and churches had to shut down like everything else in the world, we were prevented from being face to face. And I'm sure there was part of you that have been part of this church for a while. I know not all of you were a part of this church during COVID, but I know a lot of you were. And for many decades prior to that, and to not be able to come to the church and to see people face to face for several months was a struggle. And I'm sure it, it played a, it, it weighed on your spiritual life more than maybe you thought it would have. When the choice was taken away and you couldn't be face to face, you felt the pain. Even if you're an introvert. I wasn't sure how much I would miss things until it was taken away as an introvert. But Paul longs to be face to face. He prays for the Colossians that they would receive from each other what he can't give them himself. You see that? He's praying for them. He's talking about how great of a struggle I have for you. And he wants them to find in and of themselves what he can't give them face to face. He's just coming from a distance. And what is he wanting them to experience? Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. That's one of the assurances of community is that your hearts are encouraged. Not just surface level things. You know, and I'm a big believer in verbal encouragement. That the more we can speak something encouraging to one another, like, wow, you got a, you got a haircut. It looks really nice. Or, hey, I listened to this music that you sent me, and I'm just so glad that you sent it to me. Thank you so much for sending it. It blessed me so much. All those things are encouragements, but that's, that's, that's a surface level type of encouragement that Paul is actually going to a level deeper. He's talking about heart encouragement, that the assurance of community in Christ and the kingdom of God actually can encourage you on the deepest inward level that other places just can't encourage you on. And that encouragement comes from you know, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the reality that we are one together, that we can call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. You can find this heart community 
in fullness if you choose to step into it. Secondly, he talks about being knit together in love. And just what a beautiful image that is. Um, as someone who's not a knitter, I can only you know, half guess at the, the real beauty of this imagery. But for those of you that do knit, uh, you talk about the intricacies of how tight you have to get the needle and the thread together to make something hold on, right? And, uh, you know, my mother-in-law was talking about, she was fixing some buttons on our couch yesterday. And uh, she's talking about the intricacies of how difficult it was to get things all knit together. And as the, as the Christian life, the Christian church, we are knit together in love by the love of God. That is what actually binds us together as a community. And the assurance of that is that we can actually be what, what be one with one another in a profound way that again no other place can offer. Knit together in love. That's why Paul is struggling for them. And I would say both of those things, hearts encouraged, being knit together in love, is for the real purpose of community, which he uses um, kind of this treasure imagery of. The purpose is to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you see there are those two things, riches and treasures. So again, from young to old, I think we're, we're one thing that maybe most of us can be uh, captivated by together is treasure. Shiny, rich things that could positively help your way of life, right? From a little kid who's fascinated by pirate treasure to the oldest person who's fascinated by shiny boats or big yachts or having you know, as much money as you need. There's something about treasure and riches that kind of bring out this excitement and this allure to us. And what I love about the, how Paul uses the imagery here is he's not talking about real riches or treasure, right? Real meaning money or real meaning like substance or shiny things. He's talking about a deeper riches, a deeper treasure, which is full assurance of understanding and knowledge and wisdom. So again, when we're young, we have the temptation to think that if we just had the shiny stuff that our life would go amazing. As you get older, you realize that the shiny stuff is not enough that there needs to be something more. Full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. The mystery. What is this life all about? That's the mystery, right? What is life all about? I want to find the purpose for my existence. Why am I here? Money is not going to help me on that treasure hunt. The full assurance of understanding of God's mystery, which is Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of understanding. He is the highest understanding of wisdom and knowledge. And we're going to get into philosophy and other things in just a little bit. So I'm going to explain that a little bit more deeply in a moment. But what I'm saying here is that for the idea of the assurance of community, it's that Christ is at the center of it, knit together in love, hearts encouraged, but what's, what's really the core of all that is the understanding and the wisdom that God is the one who has put this community together. 
who's keeping it together. He's the grand knitter. Riches and treasures are found in the understanding and knowledge of wisdom in Jesus. You see, treasures, the treasures of knowledge and wisdom are where the riches of assurance of understanding lay. Let me say that again. So the word treasures there is really more like a, almost like a depository, like a, a place where the riches are to be held. Like a treasury, maybe is a better way to say this. The riches are held in the treasury, and the treasury is Christ. So to find the riches of understanding, you go to the treasury, which is Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what we said last week. That's the first assurance, community. So welcome. We're so glad you're here. This is the community of Jesus in Salem. We're glad you're here. Number two, the assurance of truth. Verses four through 12 give us a number of images here to think about. You know, the, the real assurance of life. We need something firm to hold on to in our life. Something that is not going to get you know, blown over by, by the tough things that happen in life. And the image that continually is used in this section is the, the image of the firmness of the truth of God. You know, he talks about roots later in this passage. And so if you have good roots, you know, verse seven, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. If you have those kind of roots, the roots of truth, then the heaviest wind could blow or the the biggest blizzard could come and you're still going to be standing firm. And we have the assurance of that truth in Jesus. Let me just explain a few things here from this. Um, Let me first explain what Paul says is not enough for us today. There's a few things that Paul says, this is just not going to do. First thing, plausible arguments. Verse four. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Have you ever gotten frustrated with people that just try to explain things away? That's what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, you know what the word plausible means? It means seems reasonable or probable, which I'm a fan of being reasonable and probable. Like I'm a realist. I think it's a good thing to be living in the real world and to think of plausible things. But he's talking about the emptiness of just being rational and reasonable all the time. He's saying there has to be something more than just explaining things away. There comes a time where it has to go to a deeper place, a place where there's more. And so he says, I'm He's saying, I'm saying all this. You can find this community so that you're not just, you're not just led astray by, by people trying to explain away the tough things of life all the time. You've got to have something deeper than that. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But let me get to more, more things that Paul says are not sufficient. So one, plausible arguments. Number two, look at verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive. See that? Like make sure no one kidnaps you by philosophy. An empty deceit. So for all of you philosophy majors in college, sorry, you're not allowed to be. No, I'm just kidding. No, he's not saying that philosophy as a whole is bad. So philosophy can be used for good things. You can read Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and find some good things and some good ways of understanding. 
but it's not enough. It's not the fullness. You can't find the purpose and rootedness of life in philosophy alone. And he, he couples it with this idea of empty deceit. Deceit, that's a little bit more sadistic, right? That's people trying to lead you astray through something that just doesn't have any support. And he, I don't think he's saying philosophy is that, but he's saying there are things similar to philosophy that are just out for, out for no good. And so you can interpret that as you want um, with educational systems, with you know, arguments that are put out there in our modern world. There's a lot of red flags in our world today of empty deceit. Things that, are people, think, things that people are saying that are, they're, they're declaring to be true that just have no basis. And if I was really bold, I'd give some examples, but we're just gonna let it sit there for a moment. I think you understand what I'm talking about. So Paul says, it's just not enough. Philosophy, empty deceit, it's not enough. He gives one more example of something that's not enough. Um, verse eight, the second part of verse eight, he said, according to human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world, human tradition, Things that we do always just because. Things that we did once that we'll, we'll just continue to do. Sometimes those are good things. Sometimes there's things we've always done that are just the wrong things. And he says it's not enough just to do things always as they were. And to combine it with something else, he says, the elemental spirits of the world, which is opening us up to the reality that there is a supernatural component in life that most of us are not even aware exists but it certainly does. And I've said this a couple of times from the pulpit here because of living in Salem, but you and I are probably at an advantage to understanding that there's another spiritual realm because of the place we live in than most people in the West. So because we live in Salem and we realize that there are new age philosophies and alternative religions and different spiritualities, we realize that there are different spirits at work in the world. And Paul here is saying that those elemental spirits of the world are not enough. So what is enough? Right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of veering into the challenging sermon, right? I need to bring us back to the assurance sermon. What is enough? Verse 5, firmness of faith in Christ. Firmness. Again, I want you to kind of latch onto a couple of these words. The first one is firmness. Your faith should be something that is, is firm and solid, not flimsy or plastic. A firmness of your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I am I'm rejoicing to see that that's what the Colossian church is like. They have a lot of different philosophies and alternative spiritualities floating around their city too. But Paul says, I'm encouraged so far that you guys are firm. You guys have something real that you're holding on to. Secondly, he talks about walking in Jesus. Verse six, therefore, just as you receive Christ as Lord, walk in him. So a faith that's not just firm, but one that is walking, one that is in movement, one that is actually doing good in the world, that it's not just sitting behind Sunday morning church doors, but it's actually walking out into the real world and showing Jesus with their legs to the world. Remember last week? You guys are the cross of Jesus with legs. Continue to be that. Walk in him. Another thing here, I already mentioned this, but rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Again, 
Think about those three images. They're rooted, built up, established. All those are just strong images of not being led astray. Verse 9, he talks about the fullness of God being in Jesus. All the fullness of deity dwells bodily in the person of Jesus. All of it. It's not like it was part of God that then came to human form in Jesus. All of God was walking around in the person of Christ. That is enough for us today. That's why we can look at Jesus and say, I'm going to trust in you because you're the fullness of God. You've taught us everything we need to know for a life of godliness. In verse 10, it says that Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. All of it. He's the head of all rule and authority. The head of every government, the head of every planet, the head of every church, the head of every institution. Jesus is at the top of it. We need someone who's going to bring all this stuff together. And Jesus, they're arguing here, is the one who brings all that together. Have you ever tried to bring together really powerful people into a room together and get them to get on the same page and like unite and collaborate around something? It's a really hard thing. Like I was at a pastor's conference this week. I'm not going to slam it. But getting pastors together in a group sometimes can be hard because we're all used to doing things on our own in our own individual churches. But you bring them into a room for a conference and it can turn into a little bit of a power struggle pretty easily. Oh, my church does it this way and it always works. Or I really think we should do it. Everybody should do it this way. Wait a second. Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. He's the head of every church. It's a deeply comforting, assuring thought. And that's a truthful statement. Jesus, you show us the way. (laughs) Philadelphia and Salem are very different, right? So Jesus, you show us the way. The last one here that it talks about in verse 12 is something that is is enough for us today is, is being raised with Jesus through faith in the powerful working of God. I mean, faith is, is our role in this story, but it's through the powerful working of God. That's what we need. That's the kind of truth we want to hold on to is the idea that God is powerfully at work in our world. And this, this is the beauty of the truth of the gospel is that it uplifts the lowly, you know, the children, the poor, the weak, the hurting. You know, for someone who is, is little in faith, little in life, they can understand the beauty of the gospel because it's that simple. Jesus died for our sins. Just receive it by faith. Have childlike faith. And the gospel humbles the exalted those who are rich, those who are powerful, those who are lofty, they're invited to come down into the life of Jesus. Our hearts may be encouraged in Christ. So to wrap this up, let me give you the final assurance. And it's the assurance of freedom. In the last three verses, Paul gives us just a couple of things that we can just take home with us, take to the bank and say, I am assured of these things that I'm free from forever. First one is freedom from our trespasses, from our sin. Verse 13, you who were dead in your trespasses, not struggling, 
not kind of holding on, you are dead in your trespasses. What did God do? Made you alive together with him in Christ. You were dead and now you are alive. You are free from the grave that sin led you into. That's an assurance of the kingdom of God. You who were once spiritually dead are now alive. Alive. It's impossible to read verse 13 without those words, God made alive together with him. It's impossible to read that without your your tone of voice instantly being uplifted. And Donna did it too. I mean, when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Your voice just naturally does it because we need to be brought back to life. We're also free from our judgment. Verse 14. He made us free. He forgave all of our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. We had a debt that we could not pay. It was hanging over our necks. It was pulling us into the ground. And Jesus canceled all of it. Our judgment that was, I mean, again, think of the image of just having this heavy burden and you're just being brought down with it completely. That is your judgment. Jesus took it all off of us. He canceled it, canceled the debt in fullness, nailed it to the cross. It's done. It's forever gone. That's the assurance of freedom in Christ. Jesus took on our debt for us. And because of that, the last freedom is he frees us from all of our opposition. I mentioned the elemental spirits of the world earlier, but verse 15 He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. There is a spiritual battle that happens as a Christian. And I have no doubt that if you follow Jesus in the city of Salem, it's going to be a hard battle. Your spiritual battle will not be easy because there are spiritual realities of living in a place like Salem. And I, the reason we put together a prayer guide for October is because we know that there is just more spiritual activity during this month than there is usually. So acknowledge that, face that reality, you know, suffer well, like I said last week. But verse 15, always remember, Christian, that the enemy has been defeated. You are free from the opposition. They are disarmed. They have been put to open shame. Satan is being mocked in heaven in the most holy sense. He has been put to shame and he will be put to shame forever and one day fully eradicated. Jesus has triumphed over all evil, all opposing spirits by dying and raising on the cross. You are free from those. You're free from it. That's the assurance of being a Christian. Freedom from sin, judgment, and any opposition. No demon, no spirit can come after you and win. He'll come after you. You will not win. Jesus is stronger. Let me close with this illustration. I was in Philadelphia this week at a pastor's conference, uh, which was, as much as I joked about it earlier, it was really good. It was part of the four C's, church planting, church revitalization group. It just was great to be in a room with people that are doing similar kinds of church work that we are. But we had an afternoon off on Thursday, and I went to visit Independence Hall, which is where the Declaration of Independence was signed. That was amazing. Anybody ever been there? Really amazing. Cost $1 if you ever want to go. So it's 
it's accessible. Um, but there, there's a wonderful tour guide, and it's like a 25-minute tour. They show you these two rooms, and he framed the whole tour around different dates that could have been celebrated as our Independence Day. So all, obviously all of us today recognize July 4th as Independence Day, but he talks about these different dates in that period that could have been the date that we celebrated for different reasons. So he said, it basically comes down to when do you, when do you think freedom for America actually came? Was it when uh, the meetings happened? Was it when the document was actually signed? Was it when the war was actually over? Like, which, when, did, when did America actually become America? It's kind of an interesting question to think about. So he gave these different proposals. And then he gave us his conclusion, which I thought was really telling. He, he opened up the Declaration of Independence and he read from it itself. And he said, we declare these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal with unalienable rights. Goes on. But key phrase, self-evident. He made the argument that true independence for America came not when a war was won, not when anything official happened, but when they declared it to be because freedom is self-evident that people are created by a creator with unalienable rights. And I thought about that with relation to the Christian life and the freedom that we're looking for. Jesus gives us full assurance the minute we come to him. The assurance of community, the assurance of truth, and the assurance that he's with us, the assurance of freedom in him. Um, the cross is sufficient for us. That's the moment when freedom opened up for all of us. So whatever of that that you need to cling on to today to get you through your day or your week, cling to it with full assurance because the book of Hebrews says later, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, but it's sure. Let me close us in prayer and then we're gonna sing blessed assurance because that is what we have. God, thank you for Thank you for Jesus and the cross and the assurance of faith that you give us in him. Be with these brothers and sisters as they live into it this week. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. I invite you to stand and sing with us.